On the 23rd day of the month of September, in an early year of a decade not too long before our own, the human race suddenly encountered a deadly threat to its very existence, and this terrifying enemy surfaced, as such enemies often do, in the seemingly most innocent and unlikely of places... The Fighting Films Podcast discusses films ranging from G to NC-17 rated. The three hosts discussing these films are adults who will not hold back from using bad or explicit language at times. With that in mind, this show is not censored, so please listen at your own fucking risk. Additionally... We feel the need to bring to your attention, dear listeners, in talking about our movies this week, we will be discussing some sensitive topics like sadism, masochism, psychopathy, domestic violence, and the callbacks for Rocky Horror, which may be bothersome, offensive, or triggering, as well as Richard O'Brien and his problematic beliefs. If you're unaware, please feel free to pause this show and Google him. Otherwise... Quake with fear, you tiny fools, and enter at your own risk. Welcome to Fighting Films, a podcast where us three friends pit two films against one another that are similar to us in some way. Maybe they have very similar plots. Maybe they share directors and themes. Maybe they are an adaptation of a famous novel. Or maybe there is just some personal reason for one or each of us. Either way, the discussion will be fun, so let's get those films fighting. I'm one of your co-hosts, Stefan, the show creator, fun fact generator, and critical aggregate. And I'm Jess. I do the social media. I do the Patreon. Basically, if you write to us, I'm the one responding. And I also try to uh, keep Stefan and Chris on task, but it's a little like herding cats. So, Stefan, what movies are we talking about this week? We're talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show and Little Shop of Horrors. Okay. All right. Cult musicals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or musicals that became cult and turned into huge followings. <laughs> to say the least, definitely. Yes. So why are they alike? Yeah, I mean, they're they're alike. Uh, they both were based off of previous uh, works, or previous musicals, I should say. And the musicals were not really uh, major Broadway productions, They were small theater or off-Broadway, or even off-off-Broadway. And as as mentioned before, they both have become uh, major uh, cult films in the the, uh, ensuing years, I guess you could say. Good stuff. Do they have anything else in common? They're both uh, can be considered camp classics, for sure. Okay. Um... Well, you know, um, as with most uh, most movies that we're talking about, these are kind of old, so you probably should have seen them by now. So, you know, spoiler alert, uh, they both involve aliens. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and, uh, yeah, um the aliens just want to rule the world. That's that's all, you know. That's all I want to do. It's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
All right. So with that said, Stefan, tell us about your movie. Absolutely. So uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show was released uh, in 1975 based off the 1973 musical, uh, which opened in uh, London. And most of the cast from this reprised their roles for the movie, including uh, Tim Curry, the most prominent one. And it's mainly an um, uh, much of the movie is an homage to B movies, like B sci-fi and horror movies from the 1930s to the 1960s. And uh, yeah, I, I don't really feel a need to like, you know, summarize it word for word or scene for scene, because again, it's like a movie most people have seen. You probably should have seen it by now. Although, uh, when I, I rewatched it a few nights ago with my friend Michael, he had never seen it, and he's 46. Well, that does happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are a lot of classics out there. But um, maybe you can just summarize up the movie and tell us what it's about. Absolutely. So, uh, we start with the the heroine heroine Brad and Janet, uh, played by Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon, and Barry Bostwick is my that actor oh, for nice. this movie. Yep, uh, he. It's I found myself struggling to remember what else he was in except for this and uh, Spin City. Did you yes. ever watch that show? Yep. Yep. I was a big fan just because of Michael J. Fox. Mm, my sister loved that show too. Uh, but he, if you look on like Wikipedia, he has had a really extensive career, mainly in TV, not mm. so much in film, but he's had like so many uh, guest guest appearances. Just it's, it's, uh, it's insane. I mean, he's obviously, uh, he, you know, maybe he hasn't been super famous beyond this, but uh other than this in Spin City, but he has still had a very prolific career. So, and, sorry. Uh, sorry. Um, actually, fun story. The mm-hmm. last time I saw Rocky Horror uh, live or Shadowcast, which is where uh, people are acting out the movie as it's being played on the screen behind them, uh, Barry Bostwick was in town for a convention and they got him to play uh, Ralph for the opening scene. <laughs> and uh, I got to, um, so I got to see him play Ralph and then he left pretty quickly, but he did, you know, uh, you know, uh, kind of talk before the show and it just, it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Was he a nice guy? Seemed to be. That's always refreshing to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I always forget Susan Sarandon is in this movie. Yes. Yeah. It's, and it's, um, I haven't read a ton of interviews with her, but she never seems to really acknowledge it at all. Yep. Um, she just, uh, she felt that I guess movies shouldn't be talked about for like as long as it takes to make them. Um, and I guess uh, I was reading the IMDb trivia page, and um, she went through a lot of stuff on, yes. on the set here. Um, she, you know, was asked to do a song naked. She got pneumonia. She, you know, did 
I think everybody did their own singing in this. Did they not? I believe so. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all the running around and craziness that ensues in this movie. Like, this woman went through a lot. Mm -hmm. I heard there were no, or I read there were no uh, showers or bathrooms on set. I think I read that too. That just that oh. sucks. And uh, it was shot in a castle where like only one room was heated. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I I can't even imagine. Like, that's just, gr- that's guerrilla filmmaking right there for sure. Yeah, it's just yeah. wild. Yeah, you know, before like uh, actors' unions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, so Brad and Janet are our heroine heroine, or if you've seen the uh, callbacks or any kind of, you know, audience participation screening of Rocky Horror Picture Show, the asshole and the slut yes. is what people call them. And I honestly think that for the two of them, it's kind of like interchangeable with what their characters do. I. Unfortunately, a lot of the callbacks started in, like, you know, the late 70s and early 80s, and they are misogynistic, and some of them are racist, and some of them are homophobic, and some of them use words that we don't even use today here in 2021, Um, and so, you know... According to the movie, you know, Janet, Janet has a technicolor orgasm in one of her songs where Mm -hmm. she just kind of sleeps with a bunch of people. They take turns, I guess. That's that's what that's what the callbacks have uh, led me to believe. Um, Mm -hmm. So basically, that's that's how her character earned the name slut because she's, you know, very early on in the movie, she's engaged to Brad, and uh, then she winds up hooking up with, seems like everybody but Brad until that song. Right. So, yeah, just uh, just some pretty wild um, storytelling in this movie, and then uh, Brad being the asshole. There's there's a couple of times where he you know, gets mad and this and that. And so that's how he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. Plus it's fun to make jokes about it. Like one of the callbacks is, uh, how do you tattoo an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> so that's nice. just, just stuff like that. So, you know, um, I, I was on crew for a shadow cast of Rocky horror here in, uh, the twin cities of Minnesota. um, And I worked on props for it and helped out. And, um, yeah, so, like, we were expected to walk up and down the aisles and help with callbacks and this and that. Can you explain what you mean by callbacks for some of our listeners that maybe wouldn't know? Um, Yeah, so callbacks are basically um, lines people thought up to shout back at the movie to make it funnier um because this movie is pretty weird if you just watch it by itself (laughs) um and some of the callbacks 
um, basically call it the worst movie ever. Um, <laughs> and just, just lots of jokes and lots of making fun. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Um, I was on crew for Rocky Horror, uh, the shadow cast here in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities for a couple of years. And um, I would invite people to come out. But I had a whole spiel down that I can only remember part of. And actually, I, I could only remember part of it when I was trying to think of it this weekend. But I said, you know, um, basically, if you're offended by sexuality, bisexuality, homosexuality, harsh language, rude gestures or drug references, don't come. Um, and that was that was part of the spiel. Um, or like most of the spiel that I would give people. I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, if if you're going to be offended, don't come out. Um, the stuff that said is in good fun. But now in 2021, it's in kind of poor taste. Um, some of it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, like there's there is a line uh, that Dr. Frankenfurter Tim Curry's character says, I'll get you a satanic mechanic. And somebody started the callback. I don't know when. Um, I'll get you a Hispanic mechanic. And then the callback to that is Taco Bell. Mm. Uh, yeah. So mm. some of some of the callbacks are really not okay anymore well not that they were in the first place but uh, apparently some people thought that was funny or um like they used the word uh transsexual which is not really mm -hmm. used anymore or uh tranny which is not used anymore and none of those are words i have used outside of rocky horror and you know now knowing that they can be hurtful and mean, I do regret using them. Um, but I also want to bring to attention some of the things that have been used as callbacks in the past. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, I even started my own callback. You know, it's just, it's... It's just something that pops up in your head that fits in at a specific time where, you know, maybe there isn't a callback already. Um, and there's one point in Sweet Transvestite, um, the song, that is the name of the song, um, where Dr. Frankenfurter and Columbia are standing there and they have their hands on their hips and they shake their hips from side to side. And my callback during that time was boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom, chicka. <laughs> and it caught on and people liked it. I'm like, cool. That's awesome. Does so, that feel good? It, it was really fun. Like I, I just did it and it caught on and I'm like, Oh, okay, great. So yeah, it just, you know, it, it's unfortunate now um, with the uh, the Minneapolis cast that um, a lot of a lot of the people aren't either aren't well versed in the callbacks or just don't want to say them. 
Mm. Um, because you'll go and you'll maybe get like half of the callbacks, maybe. Um, you can definitely tell when an old cast or crew member is there. Um, especially me with my loud, annoying chipmunk voice. Um, <laughs> they, they definitely know when I'm there. And I always sit in the back row, which is, you know, another thing. Another, a whole other thing in Rocky Horror, you know. Where's the best place to fuck? The back row. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, it just, uh, I, I enjoy, you know, sitting in the back area. It helps, you know. When I yell out callbacks, you know, more people can hear it and whatnot. But yeah, um, I, I don't know, just, I, I would love to go to another city and see a shadow cast or a live show, like maybe, uh, the one where it originated. What was that one, Stefan? Uh, was it the the East End? Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, it was somewhere in Lo- somewhere in London. It might not be the East End, but it was in London. Yeah, and they uh, after after it uh, after it basically flopped at the box office. You know, they started doing midnight showings of it, and people started bringing props. And oh gosh, props are a whole nother whole nother part of Rocky Horror, which mm-hmm. I also sold props bags when I was there. I've only been to one uh, uh, callback show for Rocky Horror, I'll admit it. I had my virginity broken. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, um, I had to go up on, you know, go up on stage and do like the pledge or something like that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, actually, when my sister came out to visit, I made her go and uh, I made her be one of the uh, chosen virgins mm. to uh, to do like some extra side stuff. So mm. it was fun. Fun. All in yeah. good fun. Yeah, it's, that's all it is. She yeah. didn't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, some my my favorite songs. So even before... I knew about or like really before I saw this movie that the song "Damn It, Janet." <laughs> I there was a one of the early episodes of Family Guy in the first three seasons before it was canceled. The episode was called "Damn It, Janet." <laughs> yeah, where Stewie was like trying to court like a girl in his at daycare or something like that. Oh, is and that her, the one where she's like Cookie? Cookie, Cookie, yep, yep that one. Yeah, but her name was cookie? Janet, so yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, yeah, it was funny, you know, witty. I was the some people come up with good, you know, titles for episodes and they deserve to get paid what they do. Yeah. Hopefully well, it's that, a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty apropos and it rhymes. Right. Um but yeah, the the basically the first musical number uh well second musical number besides the opening right um is damn it janet and Mm -hmm. it's basically brad proposing and um oh gosh it's just it's the whole thing is so funny if you can go to a live show i highly recommend it or uh, a shadow cast of it 
I highly recommend it. It is a lot of fun, but be aware of what you're getting yourself mm-hmm. into. I think it's definitely something everyone should do once in their life. You know, kind mm-hmm. of a bucket a bucket list type thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the they sing they sing this song. Uh, so Brad has proposed to Janet. They've just come out of a wedding, and a Episcopalian wedding. I don't know why I remember seeing that. I just thought that was like oh, piss like you know. Because people think Episcopalians are kind of boring. I don't. Maybe that's kind of as like their characters. Mm-hmm. They're kind of bland. Uh, so, and I wrote in my notes. I think it's tacky to propose at a wedding. I mean, to be fair, it was afterwards. So, yeah, eh. everybody had left. By yeah, then. we'll let it slide. So it's it's not so bad. Yeah, you're not you're not stealing the thunder from the bride and groom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they are. So. And between this and the next scene, this is where we meet the uh, the criminologist, who's the uh, the fr- the framing device, if you may, of this story, uh, and he has like a, a dossier on the the Denton incident. Is that what it was called? Uh, I don't. Oh, recall. that's what I, th- I thought it said on the 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 cover of the. I, uh... I know the uh, I know the callbacks um, <laughs> where he's. Uh... Where he's flipping through the dossier, you go, that's my mommy, that's my daddy, that, and then he opens <laughs> Brad's page, and he go, and then you go, asshole. that's my asshole, statement to prove it, and then he turns the page for Janet, and he goes, and his slut, statement to prove it. <laughs> yeah, and he comes in and out throughout the movie. I really he kind of gives you the backstory on stuff mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, so then Brad and Janet are driving to meet. It, it was an old uh, professor of Brad's, was that right, uh, Doctor Scott? Mm-hmm. Yep, they're going to meet him, and you know it's a rainy night. You know, con- road in the middle of nowhere. You know, setting for a horror movie. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it was in if it was in modern times, their cell phone would uh, x out of service. <laughs> So essentially, it was a dark and stormy night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crush of loud blast of what are the thunder sound of thunder? Sound of thunder and a crash of lightning. I'm trying to think of what to describe thunder, but mm. sorry. Um, okay. Yeah, we'll check off on that for another another week eventually <laughs> that we'll do. Uh, so they then they get a flat tire and. I'm so, so glad you didn't say their car broke down. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a callback to throughout the movie. They keep saying their car broke down, but they the car got a flat tire, which are two right. entirely different things. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Your, for your car to break down implies like engine failure or something like that. Something mechanical. Yes, exactly. Yeah, your tires are not mechanical. Uh, anyways, so then they... Set out on foot to the castle that they well, saw White back. sells really cheap hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm going to be doing callbacks throughout. Keep doing it. Okay. Keep doing okay. it. This is fun. Okay. I don't mind. I just, after after so many years of doing it, like it's. I was actually sitting and rewatching the movie upstairs in my bedroom, and uh, my partner was in the office, which is like two rooms away, and he's like. 
why is she talking to herself so much? <laughs> and he's like, oh, she's watching Rocky Horror. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and this is the part I remember from when I saw the callback uh, where they're walking and then Janet has the newspaper over her head. Mm-hmm. We had the newspaper prop. Yes. We put over our head. I just, you know, I was kind of just going with it because I hadn't, when I saw the movie at uh, the callback, I hadn't seen it in years mm. before then. I first, I first saw it, I think I was about 25, which people are, a lot of people are shocked how late that is. One um, person that was like, how did you get through college? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a question to ask. Um, I, let's see. I was with my ex-fiance at the time that I was working Rocky Horror. So this had to be when I was around 20, 22, somewhere in there. Um, and I did props and he did uh, spotlight for the show. Mm. Yeah. Cool. That was good stuff. So they, they end up at the castle and we meet uh, Riff Raff who's essentially an Igor uh, knockoff, if you may. <laughs> yeah. The hump, hump and everything. But the the hump doesn't really seem to affect him very much. Like, he's not crouched over. No. Right. I mean, it's, it's I mean, duh, it's fake. But, you know, um, yeah. Are we going to, are we going to talk about who played Riff Raff? Uh, if you want, we did do the disclaimer. We did. So the person who plays Riff Raff is the writer creator himself, Mr. Richard O'Brien, who is now a decrepit old man and uh, about, oh, geez, like seven years ago, uh, he came out with some very transphobic statements. Um which it's really frustrating. I I understand everybody has a right to their opinion. You know, um the three of us here at the Fighting Films podcast believe that men are men, women are women, trans men are men, trans women are women. Absolutely. That's how it is. Um and not everybody believes the same thing, which is very unfortunate. Um, and then for some reason, some horribly ridiculous, like, seriously, can we just staple their mouths shut reason, people are using their celebrity to put their opinions out in the open. And... Just stop. Um, Like J.K. Rowling and her transphobic statements. We've also got Richard O'Brien and his transphobic statements. Um, So, thankfully, um, Shadowcasts, the the money going to them does not go to Richard O'Brien. I mean... He gets royalties every time, you know, somebody buys the movie and this and that. But uh, for all intents and purposes, don't give that man move. Don't don't give that man money. 
Um, like, you know, Stefan wanted to watch the movie and he borrowed it from me. Great. Torrent it if you have to. I don't really care. And um, actually, yes, I'm going to stand by my statement. You can torrent the fucking Rocky Horror Picture Show if you need to. Because the cast doesn't see royalties. Boo. Like, I was hating to hear that. What the fuck? This is one of the best known cult classics. And the cast, I don't care how big they've gotten. Tim Curry and Susan Sarandon, who are some of the biggest names in Hollywood to date. Um, they've, they've got their own stuff going on. But it doesn't matter because they were actors in this film and they deserve to get royalties. You know, it's it's just so fucking ridiculous. So don't give money to Richard O'Brien or J.K. Rowling, for that matter. Um, they're transphobic as fuck. And honestly, you know, we appreciate their genius and creativity that helped bring these um, works and characters to life. But... We we don't like you as people. Well Plain said. Simple. Absolutely. Sorry, tangent. No, no, that's fine. Uh, so, so they wander in, and we get uh, my favorite, my favorite moment of the movie, my favorite song, the time warp. <laughs> it just it's what I always associate with this movie. Yes. Let's do the time warp again. It's probably the best known song from this movie. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's one other thing I would tell people. Like if you're gonna come to this show, you're gonna get up and do the time warp. Mm-hmm. Like security would walk through the aisles and make people get out to or would walk through the rows and make people get up. For the time warp. That's awesome. You don't sit down for this. Like, they Mm -hmm. teach you how to do it in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's just a jump to the left and a step to the right. Put your hands on your hips. Bend your knees in tight. You do the pelvic thrust. And then it drives you insane. Let's do the time warp again. Yeah, it's, it's so easy. Yes. I agree. Yeah, there's absolutely no excuse. Unless, if you know, you legitimately can't stand up. Yes. And yeah. even then, you can do the arm movements or whatnot. Like, if... Obviously, there if there's a reason, mm-hmm. don't do it. Right. But if your reason is, oh my god, I'm going to look like an idiot. No. No. Just You're in a dark movie theater. Up. It's like... Yeah, nobody's actually looking at you unless mm-hmm. they want to see your jiggly bits. And even then, shake them and show them. Exactly. But otherwise, just enjoy yourself. Do the fi- do the fucking dance and then sit your ass back down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, during all this, obviously, Brad and Janet are the kind of people that would not be dancing in the aisles to something no. like this. No, they're not. No. Uh, Janet faints. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, honey, wait till you, wait till you're gonna, the other stuff you're gonna experience tonight. Just wait, sweetie. Just wait. Uh, Q, Q2, uh, 
Dr. Frankenfurter. Dr. Frankenfurter. And I just realized last night that's a knockoff on Frankenstein. Yep. <laughs> that's how slow I am. <laughs> yep. Again, you know, the 30s, you know, horror movies. Yep. From back then. Yep. And he, uh, Dr. Frankenfurter comes down the old-fashioned elevator uh, mm-hmm. played by the uh, – I can't even think of a word to describe Tim Curry. Incomparable. That would do him justice. Incomparable. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Incomparable, amazing, godlike. Uh, Phenomenal, he, stellar. Yeah. He, yeah. He pretty much was my childhood. Yes. Just overall with everything. You know, it's a shame that his stroke, you know, pretty he's, much. He's had... doing better. You know, he um, he's signing autographs. He's mm-hmm. speaking. He's. He does some you know, voice work, I, yeah, I guess. Yes, and, you know, strokes are random and quick and unfortunate and will really fuck you up. Mm-hmm. And it all depends on how you come through the other side on mm-hmm. it. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, oh, it's up to you. But, you know, um, like uh, Tim Curry and there's another actor who had a stroke within the last couple of years. Um, His name is Timothy, not Timothy Oliphant, but uh, it's Timothy O. Um, He was on Psych for a while. He was the crabby detective. but he had a stroke and, you know, he's working on walking again and coming back and acting again. And so it, it just kind of, it, it depends on your diagnosis mm-hmm. and however you feel you can recover mm-hmm. um, in, in what, in how the rest of your life goes, basically. And um, to my knowledge, Tim Curry is still in a wheelchair, but he's doing much better than he was from mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. So, yeah. you know, more power to him, you know? Um, and actually, I think it's funny, a uh, 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 conversation starter at like, say you're on a date or at the movies is you can ask somebody, oh, well, you know, where do you know Tim Curry from? Yeah. Age their answers. Mm-hmm. I just think it's fun. Yeah. He, he's had incredible uh, filmography, you know, obviously this clue home alone to uh, Muppet treasure Island. And I will always mention this whenever I have an excuse, the highly underrated and forgotten cartoon show mighty max mm-hmm. skull okay. master he was a skull master the villain oh on that right. um we gotta start a petition to get that show to stream somewhere okay it's just yeah it, it's it, the whole show is on youtube actually i mean the the copyright probably has expired I mean, or something like that it's it's an obscure if, show if we're gonna do that we might as well start one for pepper Ann as well <laughs> yes Contact people at Disney Plus and tell them to... Right? Yeah, that's... Uh, I should have Sue Rose directly. She's like... She seems like... She seems to be contactable from what I've read, so... Huh. 
a side project for later. <laughs> we digress. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, Frankenfurter sings uh, Sweet Transvestite. Just kind of explaining who he is. Yeah, yeah. And this song, I always think of my old friend, uh, Nate. He would just slay this at karaoke. He Your did old gr- friend Nate. I don't think yeah. I've heard of him. Oh, I mean, he was more of an acquaintance, but uh, he at karaoke he would just slay this song. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, because uh, my old friend Nate um, used to be Riff in the uh, in the um, oh gosh, the Shadowcast, and uh, now he's off in L.A. doing bigger things but he just he was oh gosh the the best riff i've ever seen Mm -hmm. he he was fantastic so that's why that was that's why i was like your friend riff or your friend nate you have a friend nate (laughs) your old friend nate i have an old friend nate wait a minute here (laughs) is your is your old friend nate my old friend nate because my old friend nate likes to do karaoke too so uh brad and janet are uh, stripped down to their underwear and led upstairs to uh, Frankenfurter's lab where we meet his creation, the Rocky Horror, hence the title of this movie. And I love the rainbow water that he's submerged in. That was great. It's great. It's like you can tell this was just totally made to have a gay following, and that just symbolizes it. Like, of well, course it know, was. Also, the, the muscly man running around in gold hot pants. Mm-hmm. You know. And just, you know, the, the gender bending mm-hmm. of Frankenfurter. But, yeah, I just think it's it's symbolic, that rainbow water. Uh, and so, after, you know, Rocky Horror, sang, I, and I, 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 I don't know the names of all the songs I forget. Uh, you know, feel free to jump in. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember the name of uh, this song. So when Rocky Horror sings his kind of intro song. I can make you a man. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, we get a visit from a delivery guy and it's Meatloaf. Eddie. Eddie. I, I always forget he was in this. Yes. Who is my that actor for the movie. Um, Meatloaf, who was, uh, well, who is a, um, singer and, uh, songwriter. And, um, he was born in 1947. He has had a pretty vast career, uh, musically. Um, you, you would probably know him from, uh, and I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. Um, and so he he has had a number of songs. Um, but also since being in Rocky Horror, he has been in a number of movies and uh, one-off TV shows. Um, like he was in Wayne's World as Tiny. I love his cameo in that. I love it. (laughs) Yep. Um, He's done uh, 
as I said, he's done one-offs uh, like for Nash Bridges in 1997. He was in Spice World. Um, he <laughs> he was uh, himself on an episode of South Park. Um, he, what's up? I was gonna say I remember that episode. Mm. Yeah. He was on The Outer Limits in 2000. He was in um oh shoot fight club he was in he's just been in so much he was in blood rain and he was in um citizen jane and he was on monk for an episode and glee and he's just he's been around and he's still around like right now or for a while he was on a show called ghost wars um, in 2017 and 2018, uh, it doesn't look like he's doing anything much right now. You know, honestly, he's getting up there and he deserves some time to rest. So more power to him. Mm-hmm. Well said. Yeah. And so, uh, he comes in, starts singing and, uh, Frankenfurter basically becomes jealous that Rocky Horror, you know, was kind of, you know, fawning, fawning over him, if you may. And he, he axes him to death in a quote unquote mercy killing. And this is the moment I wrote my note. Mercy killing. Right. Mercy, mercy, mercy. And uh, Michael, even this is, this is uh, Michael's words when we're watching it. This is when this, this is when it descends into horror. He avoided seeing this movie for years, I guess, because it was classified under the horror genre, and he thought it was going to be really scary. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of is. Okay. And do they do they actually uh, eat him as well? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not quite there yet. Okay, um, I was I was gonna say, I'd... but but in the callbacks, um, they say uh, like like um, oh, one of the callbacks is uh, meatloaf again. It's still good. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and yes, um, later on. In the dinner scene, uh, they're basically the idea is that they're eating Eddie for dinner mm-hmm. um, because spoiler alert, we find out in the end that Frankenfurter and Riff Raff and Magenta are aliens. Um, and so that's why they're a little off and don't quite know <laughs> What, what is right and what's wrong socially? Um, and uh, there's a point where Frankenfurter rips the tablecloth off of this table that they're using, and there's a um, model of Eddie underneath, um, and that kind of seals it in that uh, that. <laughs> They're eating him, but I guess the only people that knew it was going to happen was 
uh, Frankenfurter and Meatloaf um, or Eddie because mm-hmm. he obviously had to pose for the model. Um, so all the reactions that you see from all the actors is real. Wow, so thought, that, that's yeah, great. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I love when movies do that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, psychological trauma for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after he disposes of Eddie, uh, they, so, so do, are Frankenfurter and Rocky Horror, do they like officially get married? It seemed like or they were just retiring to bed. Um, yeah, more or less. I mean, it's, it's considered the wedding. I don't know what a wedding on their planet is like, but, Mm -hmm. um, if you're just watching the movie without callbacks, basically, you know, uh, they're playing, you know, the, as they're walking off to the bedroom and at the end, like Frank jumps up and like mounts Rocky pretty much. <laughs> and so they go off to consummate their relationship. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Um, Cause right afterwards is the, uh, <laughs> is um, Brad and Janet are shown to their separate rooms, which industry secret is the same room um just different filters i love the pink and blue because it's like the only gender construct Uh, in this entire movie yeah (laughs) and of course for their characters they would have that of course yeah Yeah, of course of course pink and blue and Mm -hmm. you know there's no difference between genders there's strictly men and women and whatever yeah um but yeah, in the callbacks, it's, you know, Rocky Horror sex scene, take one. And then Rocky Horror sex scene, take two. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just funny. And uh, so after Frank supposedly consummates the relationship with Rocky, he goes and finds Brad. And then he goes and finds Janet. Mm-hmm. So I and, think he's pretty insatiable. Yeah. And Brad kind of went along with it, too. Well, I mean, he he put up some resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he said, you know, I've never, I would never, and this and that. But he's like, you know, I'm not going to tell Janet, you know. And right. so, I mean, to be fair, you know, she goes along with it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why the whole thing, you know, with like. Her being called a slut, not him. I mean, I just, I believe, you know, men are the biggest sluts Um, out there. I wouldn't say that. I just, I have issue with the stigma attached to women being called sluts and men being called players. I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah, like... You know, there there are girls out there, like Samantha on Sex in the City. You know, she's going to go out there and get hers. You know, she's going to do what feels good. You know, she's 
you know, finds a guy at a bar, she's taking him home tonight. If he's not doing it right, she's kicking him out. She's going to tell him what she wants and what she likes. And yes, she's going to enjoy the sex. And, you know, if he, if she wants a threesome, you know, she'll find a couple of guys. Uh, and at one point she, you know, started sleeping with a woman on the show and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, there's this whole big stigma about, you know, women having too much sex. And I've actually heard that some guys believe that if a woman has too much sex, her vagina is gonna, I guess, implode. Not, no, not implode. <laughs> I was so sure where you were wow. going with that. <laughs> no. No, that would be really fucking scary, and they would need to teach us that in sex ed. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> no, um, men, there are some men out there that do believe if a woman has a lot of sex, her vagina will stay stretched out and will not go back to being as tight. And that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're actively working on stretching it, like, daily for like x amount of time you know um i mean how would how would it be to have a baby you know you have a baby from the same place that you stick your dick in you know they're gonna push out a watermelon out of the out of a hole the size of a dime of course it's gonna stretch back Mm -hmm. and it's gonna go back to what it was it's not going to be this big gaping hole between a woman's legs that, you know, is the size of a fucking watermelon. Are you kidding me? No, I just, sorry, tangent number two. Um, no, that's okay. Oh, the incompetence of some men really busts my bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it just it's it's so ridiculous the stigma and the stigma that women are supposed to be, you know, sweet and nice and always polite and always happy and pretty and this and that and skinny and meh. no. Women have so many stigmas. It sucks. Mhm. Yeah. So, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh so then after their encounter with Frank and Furter, they get called downstairs to dinner. And at this time, uh, Dr. Scott arrives. And <laughs> this is one of my favorite. The I, I wrote LOL at Dr. Scott meeting scene. Okay. Where, where it's just like, you might, you might want to do this too, where it's like, uh, uh, Brad, Janet, Dr. Uh, Scott. Yes, <laughs> the, the Rocky Horror roll call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it is. Uh, the the um the callback they're like Rocky and they're like Bowwinkle. <laughs> yep. Yep. So they go three times around, but uh just before that, um they pull up their magnets to get Dr. Scott into the room that they're all in. And uh Dr. Scott has to bust through a wall because they did not build a door in that room. Um, and the callback for that is one, two, three, four. Next time, use the fucking door. Next time, build a fucking door. Um, yeah. so, that was not that place was not ADA compliant. No, no, no. But it did have some nice ramps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and so it they go, you know, Rocky Horror roll call, and it 
goes, uh, um, Rocky, Dr. Scott, Rocky, uh, or no, Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky, Bullwinkle, Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky, Bullwinkle, Janet, <laughs> Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky, Adrian. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like this has been parodied a lot in pop culture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know a family guy for sure did it. Mm-hmm. To go back to them, I mean, they've you know, they've done a lot of, <laughs> done almost everything. Yes. Yeah, and uh, so we find out that uh, Eddie was the son nephew. of Doctor Scott, nephew. Okay, nephew. Yep. I'm looking for my nephew. You mean dinner? No, the other nephew you ate for dinner. <laughs> and uh, so. The reveal is, you know, that, yeah, he was, he was like under the, the cover, the table or the, it looked like he was like, like indented into the table. Um, it was like a glass coffin type thing. And then they put a tablecloth over it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Great reveal. And (laughs) then we get to my second favorite song. You better wise up Janet Weiss. I just love how he says that. Uh, Wise up. Build your thighs Size up, and he is really touchy feely, gropy. Oh yeah, in this this part, it's a little uncomfortable. Well, the thing say. is, he's he's already slept with her. Well, mm-hmm. no, he's already fucked her. We'll say that, right. and then um, he's well, Frankenfurter is pissed because she fucked Rocky. Uh, which we found out before Dr. Scott made his entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically Frankenfurter is messing with her, you know? Oh, you're this hot piece of shit that everybody wants? Well, let me, you know, pinch and poke and pull at you. And, you know, she's she's not used to that or used to, you know, being treated so roughly. Um, She's not used to anything from this night. Well, <laughs> it looks like yeah. True, but you know she she takes off running, and then you know Frankenfurter goes after her, and when he catches up to her, because generally men run faster than women, mm-hmm. um, you know he's he's like, oh, you're hot shit, you're, and he's like insulting her through song like one of the lines is you're as sensual as a pencil and (laughs) and uh when we made it did you hear a bell ring was it euphoric for you like he's just he's just messing with her because she you know his creation wants her instead of him and Mm -hmm. you know frank is just sick of this woman that everybody wants Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, and I, I don't know if you mentioned this already, but uh, Sarandon refused to be naked during the uh, touch me number. Touch a touch me. Touch a touch, touch, yep. touch me. Yep. Uh, Which I have done at karaoke. I don't know if I remember that. I don't think I've done it in front of you, but I definitely have. I, I break it out once in a while, especially around Halloween. I'm like, touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to be dirty. Thrill me, chill me, fulfill me. Creature of the night. 
And Susan Sarandon, by the way, had already been naked on film prior to this. I think I honestly, I don't think I've seen Susan Sarandon naked before. Um, I have not done that, that depth of research into it, but I think she was on naked. She was naked on screen. Like when the movie called for it or when it was serious, yeah. you know, um, I think she, she played like a madam in some movie, like, like in the seventies and, yeah. Yeah, because nobody else gets naked in this movie. Um, so I don't blame her for saying no. Yeah. Uh, the most we see is Brad's right nipple. Uh, we do see Columbia's nipples. I was going to say. A few times. I didn't catch so. that. That's the I When I rewatched it tonight, that was the first time I noticed uh, Columbia's nipples. Yes. In the in the corset, hanging out of the corset, you know. Uh that, but in the end when she's in pajamas and she uh pulls them down, her nipple peeks through a rip. Oh. So. I didn't notice that. Good eye. Well, I've seen the movie like a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And it one of the callbacks is for it. So What is that like what do they say? Um, oh gosh. Like, uh, when Brad is getting poked at by Frank and Furter and, um, you know, his robe is coming open. Uh, the callback is, you know, I paid $5 to see this movie and I want to see Brad's right nipple. Brad's right <laughs> nipple. Brad's right nipple. And it turns into an audience chant. And then, you know, when his robe opens up, we're like, woo, yeah. Um, I don't I don't remember what Columbia's nipple callback is offhand. Mm. Uh, Maybe you can help me with a callback that I remembered when I saw it live, but not when I just rewatched it. Now, it was something with the uh, criminologist and it it was like something with his eyes disappearing in the shadows. During one um, frame. I know there's one where the hell are your eyes or something like that. That's uh, that happens to Magenta, um, but right. the criminologist. Okay. The criminologist. Uh, there's there's one point where he's talking and his eyes just get wide and then go back to being squinty again. And it's uh, eye gasm in three, two, one, bink. Mm. <laughs> so it was it was Magenta. Now, okay, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Uh, they all end up back up in the lab and uh, all of our, our protagonists, quote unquote, I'm using protagonists with air quotes because I would almost call them the, the antagonists. of this. Well, they this have be, to get ready for the floor show. Right. This would be a good, the villain was right episode. I feel like this could be but applicable. Brad and Janet, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so they get turned into like the statues of David, kind of whatever those are called, the marble. Uh, they get turned into statues. Statues. Yeah. But it's a cheap movie, so it's plaster of Paris. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously not real marble. They, no, they it's, it's a callback. They would have blown their whole budget if yeah. it was marble. <laughs> yeah. On one statue. 
And so then uh, Frankenfurter sets him up in his uh, floor show <laughs> with a, an empty auditorium. And one by one, they get turned back. And I love uh, Dr. Scott's chair dancing <laughs> with the stockings. This is, it's great. I, I almost had him for my MVP just for this scene. <laughs> it's pretty wonderful. When he lives for the thrill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it is revealed that uh, Riff Raff does not have the, the hump anymore. And that him, Frank, and Magenta are aliens from the planet uh, Transsexual and the galaxy Transylvania. So they were not referring to the um, region in Romania. Nope. At all. The, a twist worthy of M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> and so they... Uh, I'm always a little confused with the finale. So they do... They, they try to blast Frank into oblivion. Hello, oblivion. How's the wife and kids? <laughs> and, I'm not going to uh, continue that because it's really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and so then uh, the the castle blasts off. The switch genre is right away, you know, for, so we, we're in sci-fi now. <laughs> and it blasts off, and Dr. Scott, Brad, and Janet are left on the ground, and it's deliberately meant to symbolize uh, insects crawling on Earth's surface, kind of like that's yep. what they're degraded to at that point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The And there was a sequel made as well in musical yeah. and film form. Yeah, it's not very well received, as you can tell by Jess's uh, tone of voice. The <laughs> uh, shock treatment. Yep. It's So it's basically like Brad and Janet are married now. And in Denton, which I'm kind of surprised their relationship survived this. <laughs> <laughs> to I, be honest. I mean, one wild night. I mean, true. I mean, an entire relationship sometimes. Legit. I mean, and they both they both had their faults that night. Let's be real. Oh, no, of course. Of course. <laughs> and they end up on like a like a TV show or something like that, but it's run by some of the same people and they get through it, it's it's like a it sounds like kind of like a WandaVision type scenario. Hmm. I have not seen shock treatment. Mm. I, I'm not sure about it. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounded pretty bad. It's pretty, pretty reviled among Rocky yeah. Horror fans. Um, like during the floor show, they jump into a pool, and one of the callbacks is, uh, "Last one in the pool has to be in the sequel." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it was that pool where, um, uh. Caused Susan Sarandon to catch her pneumonia. Yep. They mentioned before. Yep. Because they did not heat the pool. No. Or anywhere else. Except no. one fucking room. I wonder when Susan Sarandon's first movie was. I know it was before this, but. Uh, I'm not sure. That's that's your field, Mr. Yep. Trivia Guy. Um, but yeah, so 
you know, when I was talking about meatloaf earlier, I had some uh, interesting trivia that I found about him. Um, so I guess apparently, uh, Eddie was kind of modeled after Elvis Presley. Um, and Elvis was the studio's first choice to play him. And, uh, Elvis actually expressed some interest in it. So, I, I don't even know. I, I have no idea how that would be. Like, I just. I could see it. Really? I. Well, I mean, Elvis, remember, was about the same build as Meatloaf in his final years. Hmm. True. True. But Meatloaf was on the younger side when it came to this movie. Yeah. So, um, I mean, well, yeah, Elvis was only, well, okay. Elvis was about 10 years older, I guess hmm. at the time. Yeah. He was I like mean, in his forties when he died. Ah, uh, well, I mean, meatloaf has always been a large man and mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's lived it and that's okay. Um, so, you know, uh, Richard O'Brien was concerned that meatloaf might not be able to handle hot patootie. Bless my soul. Uh, the song that he did for this movie. Um, and so Richard O'Brien brought out the music and handed it to Meatloaf saying, you know, it's okay to flub a few lines. No one in the London cast has ever sung it, the whole thing correctly anyway. And uh, Meatloaf looked at it and replied, what's the problem? And saying the whole thing back without skipping a beat. So, Damn. I mean, yeah, he's he's pretty good. I mean, to get somebody who already has an established musical career, I would hope they would know how to read music. <laughs> um, right. I I guess that would be kind of the difference between musicians and actors more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you're trying to get them to do a hard song, you know, it, it would be easier for a musician to get it. Um, mm-hmm. And so when this movie first opened, it did have a traditional release with afternoon and early evening screenings, but it bombed. Bombed bad. Yeah, and we will check off on that. But Meatloaf said he attended an opening week performance with uh, writer and director Jim Sharman in the Midwest, and the theater was empty except for them. Uh, ouch yeah that's that's bad yeah. mm-hmm. but i i don't know if i would go see this movie during daylight hours either to be fair no to be fair <laughs> and uh it it pretty quickly uh became the cult hit that it is today and it's actually the longest uh continuously running film in cinemas quote unquote Yes. It still is officially in release. It's never gone out of release. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and, and, and never actually, will. Um, probably not. Um, I mean, if if Richard O'Brien's transphobic statements can't bring it down, I don't know what will. Um, mm-hmm. Because he had his statements in 2014 and then reiterated those statements in 2020. Yep. It's just like, shut up. Shut up. Just, can I staple your mouth shut? Just stop. 
Like, you've you've made a really great living off of this movie, which is a huge staple in the LGBTQIA community. That's what makes it so much worse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, why? What is what is wrong with you? You wrote this. Like, were you writing it as a joke? Like, it's not a fucking joke. People's sexualities are not a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just... It's, it's, it's frustrating and infuriating. Mm-hmm. For me, anyway. No, I hear ya. And... Jess, who is your uh, MVP? My MVP? Haha. Um, you did not see her, but you definitely heard her name if, you, if you've been to a show with callbacks. It is the costumer Sue Blaine. <laughs> um, and she, her, her name is often used um, it's often used as Sue Blame. Um, so like there's one point where Frankenfurter says, uh, the rain is really to blame. And the callback is no Sue's to blame. Read the fucking credits. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> excuse me. She actually did the costuming for the stage productions before um, doing the movie. Um, and the budget for the costumes uh, was about 1600 which is far more than the stage production budget. But with having to jump in the pool and running around in the rain and all sorts of craziness and having to take having to do takes over and over again um they actually had to double up on costumes so that actually took up a lot of the budget in just finding doubles of these costumes and they wound up taking costume pieces from the stage production because it just it was easier it was what they were used to Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Sue's costume designs are credited with inspiring the punk look, which is pretty cool, in my opinion. I can um, see that. Yeah, but she has 11 credits to her name as costume designer. Um, she did uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show was the first movie that she worked on. And then she did shock treatment. And then I don't really remember. I don't really recognize any of these names. Um, the Drotsman Contract, Lady Jane, Absolute Beginners, Dream Demon. Ooh, I'm going to mess this up. Uh, La Fancura del West, mm. um, which was a TV movie. And then uh, she did... A couple episodes of American Playhouse, which was a TV series. It looked like they did um, theater, but on TV. And she did uh, The Gershwin's Porgy and Bess and Into the Woods. Mm. Um, But then she did 
the Cabaret TV movie in 1993 and the Carmen TV movie in 2002. Oh, with Beyonce. I remember that. Uh, This one is... um, It stars Anne-Sophie Von Otter, Marcus Haddock, and Lisa Milne. Um, And I think it's the opera version. Mm. Um, It... Yeah, it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely, definitely looks like the opera version. <laughs> Should have known. Yeah, yeah, it it says for the longest time I've considered Carmen the French opera. The story is compelling. The characters, except Misela, are vivid, and the music is magnificent. I have not seen Carmen. I do not know. Um, I I would like to see it one day because I do like theater shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, Sue Blaine worked on the 2002 TV movie version. And then mm-hmm. her last costume designer credit was 2016 for Speed Love. And in 2018... She was a costume design consultant for a real life, R-E-E-L. Mm. So, you know, she, she's been around. She, uh, she did a documentary as herself. She was in a Rocky Horror Phenomenon documentary mm-hmm. as herself, which that sounds interesting. I would check that out. Yeah. Um, and I guess she was nominated for a 1997 Laurence Olivier Theater Award for Outstanding Achievement in Dance of 1996 for her design of English National Ballet's Alice in Wonderland. Mm. So good on her. Yeah. The only one of those I've heard of is a Dream Demon. Oh, really? uh, Yeah, it's a, a British kind of an obscure british horror film from like the late 80s it was one of those uh movies that was stuck on vhs until just uh, like about a year or two ago due to like licensing issues but it it Mm. finally got a special edition blu-ray release funny enough uh pepper ann it co-stars the uh voice actress who voices pepper ann oh who is that oh i don't remember her name like caitlin uh Kathleen Wilhoit. That's it. Yeah. Ah, okay. I have the Dream Demon page open mm-hmm. right now. I wa- I watched a little bit of the trailer while you were telling me about it. It's pretty it's, it's pretty surreal. Yeah. Except you can only watch it on Prime Video and you can rent or buy from ninety nine cents. Oh wow, it is on Prime now. That's cool. Ooh, it is. Oh yeah, I thought you said it. Uh, you can watch it on Prime Video or yeah. rent or buy it from 99 cents. Right. Uh, and it says, a young woman about to be married begins having terrifying dreams about demons. When she wakes, however, the demons are real and begins to commit gruesome murders. Wasn't there another movie kind of like that? I don't remember. Probably. Yeah. There's probably a bunch. <laughs> yeah. That's cool though, because that yeah, it, you couldn't stream that, stream it anywhere. It was trapped on VHS for a long time, like I said. Yeah, 
So, um, who was your MVP? Mine was uh, uh, Frank Inferter or okay. Tim Curry, just kind of interchangeable. And why did you choose him as your uh, MVP? Uh, you know, his character is iconic, what people associate this movie with, and, you know, just uh, the the kind of persona that he has, and it's Tim Curry. True. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, he apparently has stated that Frank is pansexual, which is pretty apparent if you've seen the movie. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. So how did this movie fare with the critics? Yeah, I was kind of surprised. So it has a 79% critical score and an 85% audience score, which obviously are both pretty high, but I kind of would expect the audience to be higher. Yeah. I mean, this movie alone, as I said before, is kind of dry. So kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I guess we can have this discussion at the end. We can check off on something for later. How about Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah, uh, so Little Shop of Horrors was the movie I did, um, or I chose. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. It's from, I believe, 1986. I... I don't know. I kept seeing 86 and 87. I think 86 is what I saw. Yeah. um, 86. Uh, PG-13, one hour and 34 minutes. Um, It stars Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, and Vincent Gardenia. Um, And it is directed by Frank Oz. And uh, Frank Oz is my that. Well, he yeah, he's done acting, too. He is my that actor slash that person. Uh, he was best known, basically, as uh, Jim Henson's right-hand man Yep. for uh, Sesame Street. He was the puppeteer for uh, Miss Piggy and the, the voice actor, Miss Piggy, uh, Fozzie Bear, uh, Sam Eagle, Cookie Monster, Bert Grover. Uh, and he has he worked on anything else? Yeah, a ton. He's directed uh, Dark Crystal, Muppet to Take Manhattan, Little Shop of Horrors, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. What about Bob? Oh, In and Out. Have you ever seen that movie? Yes. Yeah, that was a big year for you know, you know, um, visibility at the time because you had that was the same year Ellen DeGeneres came out. Mm. Yep. Uh, yeah, In and Out, uh, Death at a Funeral. That's a great movie. If okay. you can find that, yeah. Uh, and he voices Yoda in Star yep. Wars. He and he's been every, yeah he's been everywhere. Another one of those you know people that you know basically were my childhood was my childhood. Yep, um, he did a ton with the Muppets. It looks like. Um, he was in the Blues Brothers as a corrections officer. Um, you know, he was actually in the Dark Crystal as well as directing it. Um, he was in Trading Places. He was in 
spies like us. He was in almost all of the Star Wars movies. Um, lots of Star Wars and Muppets. <laughs> oh, he, he also directed, I forgot about this movie, Bowfinger. Have you ever seen that? I've heard of it. I haven't it, seen it. It's really funny. Okay. All right. Um, uh, he did Blue, Blues Brothers 2000. Um, I hear that's awful, but yeah. <laughs> I went to uh, the Mall of America on the day that Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi were going to kind of uh, show up and do a performance for it and meet people and sign autographs. And they were really stupid late. Like they made people wait for a really long time. And, uh, I got, I, I waited in line because I love Dan Aykroyd and this is the only time I've ever gotten absolutely starstruck. Um, but I was not able to say a word and I just kind of stood there like a shy idiot. And, uh, Dan Aykroyd was just the nicest guy. He was like, Hey, you know, I like your shirt. I'm (laughs) like, thanks. And then Jim Belushi was like standing back from the table, like yelling into his cell phone. I'm like, I don't want to meet him. Yeah. So I just kind of moved on. Um, Yeah. Certainly it is still more pleasant than your uh, experience meeting another actor in this movie. Uh, yeah yeah um we'll we'll check off on that um but frank oz also did um uh he did a voice in monsters inc and he was the robot voice in zathura and he's just he's done a lot of stuff he you know was a voice in inside out um he was in knives out he was Alan Stevens. Um, oh, I don't yeah. know that. Yep. And uh, oh, I, re- I remember his character now. Okay, yeah. Yeah, oh. and I guess he's in Echoes of Violence as Dante, which has been completed but not released. Hmm. So why'd you choose him? Uh, as I said, just because he has such a prolific career. And, uh, you know, a really, a really kind of a surprising variety of, of his career. He really randomly directed, like he's, you know, done everything from, you know, kids movies with the Muppets to, you know, more adult comedies like in and out and then random thrillers like the score, which I've never Mm -hmm. seen. All right. Um, yeah. So Frank Oz directed this and quite honestly, this movie would not be this movie without him. No. Um, if if you've seen the movie, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm gonna just I'm gonna say uh, the IMDb summary of it is a nerdy florist finds his chance for success and romance with the help of a giant man-eating plant who demands to be fed. Um, and it's it's a roller coaster of a movie. It mm-hmm. it definitely. Has its highs, lows, and sideways. Oh, goodness. Um, Mm -hmm. And it stars Rick Moranis, who is amazing. The Um, world needs needs Rick Moranis again. And we're going to have him again um, 
he's returning to film in Shrunk, the uh, legacy sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, he's he's definitely an icon uh, of or the early 90s, early yeah. mid 90s. Yeah, he uh, he stopped acting. Well, his last live action film was 97. Okay. Um, he's he does he does like some voice acting in between and he released a couple like country comedy albums. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, Rick Moranis is an absolute icon and a genius. And mm-hmm. he quit acting to take care of his family when his wife, I believe had cancer. Yeah. She passed. Away. Um, and he came out of hiding recently and yep. what does he get? Like he's out taking a walk and he gets punched by a guy just out of the blue. It's so ridiculous. Like this mm-hmm. guy is like the sweetest guy ever. Mm-hmm. And he's just out on a walk and he just gets fucking punched. Like how how are you going to punch Rick Moranis? Like out of every person on earth, Rick Moranis? Are you kidding me? No. Like, ugh. Just people. Just, ugh. Um, yeah, so basically, it's, uh, it's about this kind of down-on-his-luck dorky guy who's in love with, uh, well, who has a crush on this woman who works at the florist shop that he works at, and, um, they live pretty much in skid row which um this was a movie made in the 80s set in the 60s uh and skid row in the 60s everybody was down on their luck and some people were trying to get out and everybody's having a hard time and this and that skid row now yeah i I have this in my notes too yeah um I've I've heard you don't you don't want to walk down Skid Row. No, like, it's it's bad news bears. I mean, it's right by the former uh, Hotel Cecil. If that says yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I well, the Hotel Cecil is something all in of itself, mm-hmm. but Skid Row is just line, just lines of homeless people and drug addicts and Mm -hmm. I mean people down on their luck yes but some people that are choosing to be there as well Mm -hmm. and I've I've heard that even just walking down that sidewalk you can get mugged or robbed or you know beat up or any number of things yeah um and so we have a trio of singers that kind of help guide us through uh, the movie um, and help us go from scene to scene. And um, we find out that uh, Seymour was an orphan who was taken in by the owner of the flower shop. And that's why he's there. And he I think he lives like in the basement or an apartment nearby. Um, yeah, and, I, th- I think it was, I think it was the basement. Yeah. And he has a hobby of like 
finding strange new plants and like learning about them. So he's really into botany. That's cool. Um, and his boss is really down on his luck and is like, you know what? Just go home. There's no point. I'm shutting it down. You know, nobody's come in here. Nobody's buying flowers anymore. And um, Audrey, the woman who works in the florist's uh, florist shop, was like, hey, Seymour, why don't you go show him that uh, strange and interesting plant you've been working on? And so... Great, great vocal impression, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just so, want to... Oh. Can I just no, say something ahead. really fast? So uh, Ellen Green, who plays Audrey, she originated the role on the uh, off-Broadway production in 1982. Oh. And believe it or not, she was not the first choice for the role. Oh, who was? Yeah. Uh, Cindy Lauper oh, wow. turned, it, turned it down because she was on tour. And evidently, after she turned it down, Madonna was considered. You know, I can see that. Um, but I don't think I can see Cindy Lauper. I I don't think they would have the shy, timid waif mm. personality that um Eileen was able to bring out for this movie or for mm-hmm. this character. And she did a fantastic job, and yeah. it's it's so perfect. And we will talk about her in a minute. I'm just I'm just kind of trying to do a rundown of the movie. So yeah. um, Seymour gets the plant and brings it upstairs, and you know his his boss is like, oh, that is strange and interesting, but what's the point? You know, nobody's going to care about this plant. He's like, well, maybe if I put it in the window and as soon as he puts it in the window, like a customer comes in and wants to buy some roses and then another customer and another customer, all because <laughs> this strange plant is in the window. And, and I'm sorry, what kind of flower shop would not have flowers in their window? Well, they I guess have, they're down on their luck. Yeah. Well, they have flowers and they have traditional flowers. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, you know, it's, it's the sixties, nothing strange or weird or unusual. <laughs> so, you know, everybody wants tradition. Um, so eventually this plant starts garnering uh business. They wind up selling out flowers like every day. And uh, after a few days, the, uh, the plant kind of falls over. And Seymour's like, I don't know what to do. I've tried sun. I've tried dirt. I've tried water. I've tried everything. And the plant is like, uh, oh, um, Seymour pricks his finger. And Seymour realizes the plant wants blood. And um, basically, you know, things go wild. And Seymour has to find victims or food for the plant Mm -hmm. to, you know, keep this plant even alive if not thriving and um there's a whole story around that which we will get to and uh eventually um seymour and eileen or seymour and uh audrey thank you 
Audrey. I for some reason I couldn't remember it, even though the plant's name is Audrey too. He <laughs> names the plant after this woman. Um, and she's still, you know, kind of boneheaded and doesn't get it. Um, but he eventually this plant grows so big and is so sassy and Seymour is trying to run away with Audrey and he and uh, Audrey too wind up having a showdown and he finds out that Audrey is an alien set on world domination mm-hmm. and uh, they they have this showdown and eventually Seymour wins and uh, he and Audrey run off and that is the movie in a nutshell. Um, mm-hmm. I I definitely have notes to talk about. <laughs> um, and I hope that includes the original ending. Uh, yes, we we will talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I watched the theatrical version. I did not watch the director's version. Um, we got to talk about this cast. Like, this cast is flipping amazing. Yes. I, I had a really hard time finding a that person actor because of how many names are in this. Same. So, so not only Rick Moranis and Ellen Green are starring in it, but Steve Martin pops up, you know, this comedic genius in one of the best roles I've probably ever seen him in. And him with... (laughs) Yeah? And him with black hair. Yes. Yes. Um, Most people have only seen Steve Martin with white hair. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, with with black hair, and he's just... um, So he's he's famous um, for a lot of comedic things and being on Saturday Night Live for... A while uh, back in, I want to say the 70s, mm-hmm. 70s, 80s. Um, and he has a very famous uh, musical number that he did. Um, uh, I think it was called The Egyptian um, or Do the Tut or something like that. And he's. Oh, that- uh, uh, King, King Tut. Yeah. Yeah. It's something along those lines. I don't have it's like, it on hand here. It's like, um, he has a donkey. It's his favorite honky. It's like the only part I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Again, language of the 70s. Yes. Um, and so it just, he's got tons of energy in it. And oh my word, Steve Martin in this movie has got the most energy I've ever seen Steve Martin have. And it is so phenomenal, and he is so good in this role. Um, I, I've usually only seen him in, like, dad roles or dumb roles. Um, <laughs> or roles of, um, like, when he was in Roxanne, and he was the chief, and he was very smart in that. Or when he was in The Jerk, and he was, you know, kind of dumb. Or when he was in, you know, um, Father of the Bride and uh, Cheaper by the Dozen. And so tons of dad roles. 
which is funny because he didn't become a dad until he was like 70. Right. Um, which his reasoning behind it is kind of sad. Um, he, he became a comedian because he wanted to make his dad laugh. And he wanted his dad to be proud of him. And his dad never really was. And so he was afraid of becoming a dad. And he didn't want to turn out like that. Um, mm. And so had a surprise baby at the age of 70. Um, I I hate the term oops baby. Um, I really do with every fiber of my being. Um, so I say surprise baby. Um... There was a teacher when my sister and I were in high school that they, he had his first and only child when he was in fifties and he openly said it was an oops. I'm like, yeah, that's nice. There, there, you know, there, there are people who have had surprise babies who Mm -hmm. have as oops babies and this and that. It's just, you know, something I don't like, like saying, you know, (laughs) I don't like it either. Something like I, it's, I don't like that terminology, you know, Mm -hmm. I can say, you know, the alternative to this or the, you know, lesser than, but, you know, to be like, oh, you know, the poor man can't afford this. So they're stuck with that. You know, or, you know, say it's a surprise baby, not an oops baby. It oops baby insinuates that, you know, something happened, you know, for it to be an accident. And, you know, that's, that is, you know, something that happens. But I don't know, just usually they're unplanned. But I, if you're mm-hmm. planning on keeping it, you know. I, I just prefer the terminology surprise baby. Sure. Um, yeah. Either way, yes, I, I the, severely oh. digress. No, no worries. The picture that I sent you, the yes. cover art for Novocaine, does yes. that not remind you of the the m- mouth point of view shot from? Yes. Doesn't it? I immediately thought I've never seen this movie, but I, I vividly remember that cover art from uh, video stores. It's from, like, I think 2000, 2001, uh, and when I saw that shot, point of view in the mouth, when he's in the dentist office, I, like, immediately thought of this movie, cover art. Yes, I actually had a note on that as well, but that was a brilliant, like, point of view to yeah. have the camera in. Um, but other other people in this um, cast holy buckets um so to so the three um kind of doo-wop singers that guide us through the movie two of them you might recognize one of them only went on to do like one or two other things but we've got tashina arnold who has been in a number of things um and i recognized her right away but she, I believe, was the mom on Everybody Hates Chris. She was Pamela on Martin. She was in Wild Hogs. She was in just so many things. Um, Countdown. Uh, she was on the TV show Lockdown. Um, she's She's been in a number of things. She's had a really great career. Um, happily divorced. Uh, she did an episode of American dad. Um, 
She she's just done a lot. Uh, she was on Brothers, the TV series. She was in the movie Dance Flick. She was in Drillbit Taylor. She uh she just she has had so much. She was in Soul Food. She was in Big Mama's House. She again, she's just been on a ton of stuff. Uh, she was on All My Children. The Co- she did an episode of the Cosby Show, which. Ooh, we won't talk about that. Um, no. But she did an episode of Sesame Street. So, you know, she has a nice long career. And then this person was going to be my that person, uh, Miss Tisha Campbell, um, because I recognized her before I recognized Tishina. Uh, but Tisha was also on Martin as Martin's girlfriend, Gina. Damn, Gina! So, and yes, I know that was a horrible, horrible uh, <laughs> impression. I've never um, seen an episode of Martin. Oh. I I used to watch Martin and In Living Color. You know, I, I enjoyed them very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand Martin Lawrence had his issues, as people do. Um, but I, I enjoyed the show overall. Um, but Tisha Arnold, who had to put up with a lot of Martin Lawrence's, or Tisha Campbell, I'm sorry, who had to put up with a lot of Martin Lawrence's issues. Um, I, I would implore you to Google it and see what she had to put up with. Um, but she's had a really great you know, career as well. She was in the Harley Quinn TV show. Uh, She voiced Tawny Young. Um, She was on Last Man Standing. She was on The Bold and the Beautiful. She was on Empire, Grey's Anatomy, um, Blind Spotting, um, Dr. Ken. She, she's just been on so much. She was on an episode of Private Practice, she <laughs> she played Beyonce on an episode of Robot Chicken. She <laughs> was on The Protector. She was in Lemonade Mouth, the TV movie. She was on Everybody Hates Chris as Peaches. Um, she was in All of Us. She was in My Wife and Kids. She was on The Proud Family. She was on Cousin Skeeter. She was on an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. She was on Happily Ever After. She, she's just been on so much. And good on her. Like, you go girl. Um, she, just, she just has been so great. You know, and I was pleasantly surprised to see her in this movie. Um, and it looked like this was her first movie that she did um she she did a short called the magnificent major and then Mm -hmm. she was in a tv movie called the me nobody knows and then she was in little shop of horrors i'm looking at her wikipedia page i remember very well the proud family episode where she was on she played the the perfect uh, housekeeper that they got, and then the mom thought she was like, you know, taking over. Oh. And couldn't okay. stand her. Yeah. 
I rewatched a few episodes of that show the other night in Disney Plus. Wow. I just, I, I don't know if you, I, well, I, I got to say the Penny's, Penny's friends were absolute trash. <laughs> oh, I, I haven't really watched that show. Oh, it's really good. It's coming back. Um, but other familiar faces in this movie, uh, Jim Belushi has mm-hmm. a quick part, um, blink and you'll miss him. And you can look up his information because I don't want to talk about him. Uh, John Candy, another mm-hmm. comedic god who was gone too early and who we just talked about a couple episodes ago in Home Alone 1. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, you know, a smaller role um in this movie as a radio dj and mm-hmm. it's actually quite funny yeah um he and he was supposed to play the role of the flower shop owner really what yeah happened? uh i think scheduling conflicts so he had to take the smaller role uh okay um and christopher guest is the first mm-hmm. customer um which you might recognize his name from uh, he's best known for This is Spinal Tap, Waiting for Guffman, A Mighty Wind, Best in Show. Um, he's done a lot of those mockumentaries, um, The Invention of Lying, which mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Same. Um, uh, Night at the Museum, Battle for the, Battle of the Smithsonian. He was Ivan the Terrible. Uh, he was Stanley S. Squarepants in the SpongeBob Squarepants TV series. Um, he's just, he's been in a ton of stuff. He was on Mad TV. He's been on all the late night shows. He's been on the early show. Um, (laughs) he was on Dilbert. Uh, he was in Small Soldiers. He was in, uh, Animaniacs as an umlaut. (laughs) Uh, wow. He was on Arsenio Hall and he was in A Few Good Men and... Spinal Tap Bitch School, a video short. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Uh, he was on The Simpsons. He was on Headbangers Ball, if anybody remembers that. Um, he was on Morton and Hayes. Um, Sticky Fingers. Oh, he was in The Princess Bride as Count Rugen. Um, and True Confessions. And it just goes on and on. Uh, it looks like he was on... St. Elsewhere for a couple of episodes and Haywire and oh goodness uh, he did an episode of Leonard and Shirley and All in the Family and oh my word this just this goes all the way back uh, Death Wish and in 1972 he had his first credited role in The Hot Rock as a Policeman so mm. he's he's uh, he's done a lot too, um, and the last big name I'm going to bring up only because people love him so much is Bill Murray. Um, he he has a very interesting role in this movie, um, and most people know who Bill Murray is. Um, he was in Lost in Translation, Rushmore, Moonrise Kingdom, Life Aquatic with. Uh, Steve Zissou. Um, Zazu. He's he's been in Ghostbusters. He's been in Zombieland 1 and 2. He's... uh, Oh gosh, he's been in just so much. Um, And he just sometimes 
just pops up randomly. Um, but he was in the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, Fantastic Mr. Fox. He played the Badger. Um, Get Smart. He was Agent 13 in the movie version uh, in The Tree. Um, he voiced Garfield in 2004. Um, he was Charlie and or he was Bosley in Charlie's Angels. Where he, um, the very infamous feud with Lucy Liu on yeah. that movie. Yep, that's why yep. he was not back in the sequel. Good. They, they, they did not get along. And I used to think it was her that was the problem, but the more I'm hearing, it's, it's, was him. And I, uh, why do you think it was her right away? I heard a couple points that she was like kind of hard to work with. Mm. I read that, but, um, a friend of mine who worked uh, for a catering company in New York city, they would cater for the set of elementary. And he said he met her and said she was so nice. Yeah, actually, I just watched the first season of Why Women Kill with Lucy Liu on it. And I've never really been Mm. a huge fan of hers, but I didn't have really thoughts of her one way or another. But, oh, my word, she did so fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the season one finale is probably the best season finale I've seen of any show ever. Um, so I just, I, I loved it so much. I'm, I'm actually apprehensive to start the second season because of how much I liked the first one. I thought that was like a docu-series. Nope. Nope. Um, there, there is like an investigation discovery show or I'm not, I'm not sure of the network, but there is a show about, you know, women killers Mm. and which is more documentary, but no, this is a scripted show and it. Oh, it's so good. So, so good. Like, honestly, I just want to watch it over again because it's so flipping good. Um, But Bill Murray was also in Rushmore and Wild Things and Space Jam and Kingpin and Ed Wood and Groundhog Day. And what about Bob and Scrooge and just tons and tons and tons of stuff. And actually, just like Rick Moranis and John Candy, um, uh, Bill Murray was also part of uh, Second City, which is a comedy troupe where a lot of um, comedians got their early start. Um, And it's, yeah, it just, uh, and they go back to it. And it's, it's actually a really cool, like, comedian club and it's really funny like mm-hmm. if you can find any episodes of it or anything it's just it's so funny with dave thomas and dave foley and a bunch of other like especially canadian comedians and whatnot um but uh yeah some of his early, earlier stuff includes um stripes caddyshack uh the dogs um he was on SNL Saturday Night Live for very long time. I don't even know how long. Um but yeah, he he's definitely known for his uh deadpan kind of um personality in movies. 
um, Mm -hmm. and sarcastic, very sarcastic. Um, Yeah, actually, I did. I did meet him once. Um, He is part owner of the St. Paul Saints here in Minnesota, and they are our minor league team. And I was at a game with my family at one point and my one of my cousins had thrown my uh, Dallas Cowboys ball cap that I used to wear a lot um, over a railing. And I uh, got down and peeked my head over and saw a bunch of people down there watching the game. And I said, you know, excuse me. And I had to say it a few times to get somebody's attention. And I was like, can I have my hat back? And Bill Murray actually like looked up and he he uh, tossed my hat back up. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Mr. Murray, can I have an autograph? And he's like, yeah, um, come back in the middle of the inning. And so I did. And I was like, Mr. Murray, can I have your autograph? And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, come back at the end of the inning. And he did that like two or three more times. And I finally just stopped. I'm like, obviously, you know, he's not going to give me his autograph. But then later on, as, like, we're walking out, um, he approaches my cousin, who, you know, is a few years younger than me and is, you know, petite and blonde and pretty and all this junk, and gives her a uh, baseball mitt signed by the team. I'm like, really? Mm. Really? Are you kidding me right now? Um so yeah, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Bill Murray. Um, I wouldn't be either after that. Yeah, I mean just just how how he reacted to me. You know, I was eleven. I was eleven asking for an autograph. It's like you know, I I might be a tween. I might be you know between stages. I might not be the cutest thing right now, and I might be wearing oversized clothing, but I'm still a kid. Come on, man. And so it just, it's really frustrating. Um, But anyway, Bill Murray's in this movie as well, and his character in this movie did make me laugh. I will say that much. Um, Yeah, so... Um, there's a lot of great songs in this movie. Like, it's, it's really good. Very, uh, catchy and singable is really great. Um, I had a couple of theater friends who used to do, uh, Suddenly Seymour, which is the main duet at karaoke, which was fun, uh, to Mm. see. Um... It was fun to hear, and honestly, I heard them do that duet before I even saw this movie, and they did a great job. Um, But the cast is not actually singing. It's a lot of uh, lip syncing, and they hired other other singers for them. Um, And this is an alien movie. Um, As we discussed before, both of these are alien movies. Um, And also that we mentioned before there is domestic violence in this movie from um steve martin's character who he makes audrey call him doc doctor not sir it's doctor 
Um, mm. And, you know, it's it's her fault as she falls off the back of his motorcycle. And, you know, just, just really frustrating and gross. And, um, like, she shows up with a black eye or, you know, she shows up with her arm in, like, a lace sling. Oh. Um, that made me sad. Yeah. And at one point, um, they go into Audrey's, uh, apartment and we see a shadow of him like hitting her. And so there, there is some domestic violence. Um, now I'm not sure what type of plant, Audrey 2 is supposed to be. I'm pretty sure it was modeled after like a Venus flytrap. That's what I thought too. Yeah. So that that was my guess. Um Am I the only one who thought Audrey 2 was more cute than scary? I mean, she's a puppet overall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um which if you if you get the chance to watch any of the behind the scenes stuff there is <laughs> i think they said between 40 to 60 people operating this puppet at its largest size which mm-hmm. was about 15 feet tall which is ginormous and it was just it was really cool to see um all these people and all the different like mechanics they had to do to anim excuse me sorry um animate this puppet you know um now i gotta warn you this movie might be from wisconsin with how much cheese is in it like (laughs) (laughs) the the first customer who walks in uh chris columbus actually is is so cheese like Christopher Guest. Know. Sorry, yes, Christopher Guest. Uh so much cheese. I don't even know how he's walking upright. Like he should be a melted puddle on the floor. Like just so much cheese. And he's like, "Oh, do you have change for a hundred? And the guy's like, "Uh, no." And he's like, "I'll take two. And just it's it's so ridiculous. But that's that's basically the the whole movie is just cheese lots and lots of cheese but it's so good um now as i said before uh seymour is lamenting that you know the plant is kind of dying and he doesn't know how to help it live until he pricks his finger on a damn rose as he says, and uh, he kind of starts suckling the blood on his finger and he hears a suckling noise and he sees that Audrey too is making the same suckling noise. And he's like, what? You want my blood? And gives her a few drops and oh, she's feeling so much better. And um, as it progresses, as it gets older, um, Audrey needs more and more blood to survive. Um, and actually on that first, uh, bit, she tries to chomp Seymour's finger and he pulls it away in time. But, uh, after Seymour kind of leaves the area to go back upstairs, um, Audrey grows a bit 
And we find out that Audrey has controlled growth. She can control when she grows. So that's that's pretty interesting. Um, and now that Audrey's getting a bit bigger, uh, Seymour brings her on this radio show where John Candy is the uh, the DJ. And mind you, this was made in 1985. So there's not computers there's not you know digital files of everything if you wanted radio effects you had to make them mm-hmm. and uh we, we'll check off on that for uh another episode we're doing in a couple of weeks where radio is heavily featured as well but uh, speaking of technology I, I have in my notes here during the the uh some uh, what was the name of the song? Uh, Somewhere that's green, the line "big enormous twelve inch screen." <laughs> I'm like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, it's they're all kind of down on their luck and whatnot. But uh, mm-hmm. John Candy like has a number of props on his desk to use. So like, if he's like reading the newspaper, he like crumples a piece of paper. Or, you know, if somebody's coming in, you know, he knocks on the desk, you know, to say, you know, somebody's coming in or whatnot. So it just, I don't know, it's it's pretty fun to see, you know, how they used to do things and where where it came from, more or less. Um, because we will we will definitely go in go into it a little more um, in a couple of weeks when we have our uh, Annie triple threat. Uh, we are we are doing a triple threat. So we will have a special guest on for that. Um, but at this time, I have a note for tied up and handcuffed. And I don't remember what that's about. <laughs> Was that uh, tied up or handcuffed? Oh my god! Uh, oh jeez, wasn't? Uh... Oh, I get it. Ha ha ha. Um, so Audrey's supposed to open the store, and uh, she um, or she's she's either supposed to open the store or lock it up. Uh, or she's running late. That's what it is. She's running late, and she says, uh. Sorry, I was a bit tied up or, well, I guess handcuffed, <laughs> which, um, <laughs> you know, kind of kind of opens it more into, you know, what she's into or at least what her partner is into, um, kind of kind of towing the line of BDSM. Mm-hmm. Um, I just. I, I giggled at that line. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, and actually, speaking of Audrey, I got to talk about her fashion for a minute. Yes. Like, it was so great. Like, she, her fashion is very rockabilly. Um, like, you know, at one point she's got a cheetah, you know, slinky dress and pumps. You know, or she's wearing, um, she's, she's a very thin character. And so she's, uh, at one point she's wearing, like, when she has her arm in, 
uh, the sling. It's, you know, this lace piece of fabric. It's not your traditional, like, hospital medical sling. Um, or, like, when we first see her, she's in a black dress with, like, a white shrug. Um, she just, she has such great fashion sense. Um, but then, you know, she's, she starts dreaming of a future with Seymour. And she goes into this fantasy where she's, um, (laughs) she laments, uh, well, not laments. She dreams of cooking like Betty Crocker and dressing like Donna Reed, Mm -hmm. uh, which is very, like, 1950s beliefs um and they've got she's got you know the little house with the white picket fence and two children and the uh the fitted top with the full skirt with you know probably at least two crinoline underneath um (laughs) it is it is so freaking poofy and i mean that's what the style of it was right um and as as she's uh, going through this fantasy with uh, Seymour, like they even have separate beds, like, mm-hmm. and that was a thing back in the fifties because you know sex is taboo and this and that. Um, which actually nowadays it's a thing because sometimes people can, just can't sleep next to each other, and I get it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it you know it really used to be a thing. Like if you watch the Lucy show there, there are times where their bed is, their beds are separate or pushed together, I guess, depending on how romantic they're feeling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Another, um, this musical number, another great, great, uh, family guy parody. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't even know that, it was from this movie until I saw this movie for the first time. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, maybe uh, you can find a clip for us and we'll put it in the notes. For sure. Okay. Um, so we then meet Audrey's boyfriend, the dentist, who is played by Steve Martin and is like the most psychotic I don't I don't even know like off his rocker guy um he he is a motorcycle riding uh steel-toed boots wearing madman who talks about you know um hurting animals when he was younger and um his mom even said there's something wrong with him and you know he instead of going down like a bad situation uh he turned his enjoyment of hurting people into a job um (laughs) And he became a dentist who enjoys inflicting pain upon people and who is addicted to his own um, meds, more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and uh, we uh, his dancing in this is just fucking amazing, like <laughs> over the top. Some of some of the best footwork I've seen in a musical with not very much dancing in it. Um, it just, he's, he's amazing. Like, you know, Audrey and Seymour, you know, have a little dancing here and there, but this guy is all over the flipping place. Like, (laughs) and he, he does it so well. Like, I can't imagine anybody else in this role. It reminded me of, have you seen bringing down the house? Yes. Yeah, it reminded me of that. (laughs) (laughs) He never danced like that with me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So um, when when we first meet, uh, he goes by Oren, I guess, um, is his name. Uh, And in the first song that he does, which is... um, Was it Some Fun Now? Or dentist, um, one of those. Yeah. Um, he sings. Uh, when I was younger, just a bad little kid, my mama noticed funny things I did, like shooting puppies with a BB gun. I'd poison guppies, and when I was done, I'd find a pussy cat and bash in its head. That's what my mama said. Mm. And then uh, he says. She said, my boy, I think someday you'll find a way to make your natural tendencies pay. You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things pain. Son, be a dentist. People will pay you to be inhumane. Your temperament's wrong for the priesthood, and teaching would suit you still less. I think it's supposed to be still less. Son, be a dentist. You'll be a success. And uh, I'm I'm a, a big fan of true crime. And um, when they talk about serial killers, there's three three points that um, kind of most serial killers hit, um, and that's they started out harming animals. Mm-hmm. They have had some sort of head injury when they were you know younger or in their teens. And then they don't have a good relationship with their mother and or father. And so I I have on here, you know, serial killer traits because he's he's hitting them hard. I don't mm-hmm. know if he had I don't know if he had a uh, a uh, head trauma or anything, but he. Yeah, I don't know. He he really enjoys like say his laughing gas at his office. So maybe that damaged his brain. Who knows? But just he he he's wild to say the least. Um so after we meet him, um we go back and we see Audrey too is now as tall as Seymour and talking and saying uh her famous line Feed me. <laughs> and uh, that is done by my MVP, 
Levi Stubbs, who provided the voice of um, Audrey 2. And uh, he is best known for uh, Little Chop of Horrors, Captain N, the Game Master, and Queer as Folk. Um, he actually did. He actually passed away in 2008 in Detroit, uh, which is actually where he was born. So he's mm. Detroit um, tried and true. But he was also um, part of the Four Tops. He was the lead singer of the Four Tops. So you've definitely heard his voice before. Um, but he just he is fantastic in this movie. Um, just such a great uh, voice, more mm-hmm. or less. Um, you know, he was part of the uh, Ed Sullivan show for about four years. He was in Little Shop of Horrors. He was in uh, Super Mario World TV series as Mother Brain. And that wrote, uh, that actually came after... Captain N, the Game Master, where he was Mother Brain as well. Mm. Um, so he did quite a bit of voice acting, and he did so well in this. It, it's just, it's truly fantastic. Um, and that's that's why he's my MVP. I don't know anybody who could have been Audrey too. So. Apparently, Eddie Murphy was considered. I could see that. Mm -hmm. But I I still don't think it would have been the same thing. No. Um, But yeah, like, when when Seymour, you know, figures out and Audrey 2 starts talking, um, basically... Audrey's signature, Audrey 2's signature line is, feed me! And Seymour says, does it have to be human? Feed me! Does it have to be Mm -hmm. mine? Feed me! Where am I supposed to get it? And Audrey sings, feed me, Seymour! Feed me all night long! That's right, boy, you can do it! Feed me, Seymour! Feed me all night long! (laughs) Ha 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 ha! Because if you feed me, Seymour, I can grow up big and strong. And, um, I mean, Audrey, too, has got some sass. Like, Mm -hmm. straight up, she knows what she wants, and she's going to get it. And that's just that. Um, so, as Seymour's lamenting who, how to feed Audrey, too, um, you know, he sees, he sees, uh, Oren coming down the street on his motorcycle and parks outside of uh, Audrey's, Audrey the human's apartment. Mm -hmm. And he gets off and he's just pissed off, raging mad. And Audrey comes running down the street. And at this point, he's like, you know, oh, well, it's your fault if you can't hang on. Open this door, you know, and just bossing her around like mad and being a very mean person and um he uh 
Seymour is still in the shop kind of talking to Audrey because she's not in the basement anymore. She's she's in the front of the shop where people can come to see her. And um, they they just witnessed this. And the part that we talked about where um, they see him hitting her when the shade is down and it's just a shadow, which obviously he didn't hit her. It's a movie, but... Mm-hmm. Again, domestic violence, and he, you know, is, Oren is a terrible person. And so after, after, um, after he spends time with Audrey, he, I don't remember if it's, yeah, it's got to be the next day, um, he goes to his office, and we see a girl, well, first, we see his nurse, who is my that actor. Um, she is Miriam Margolis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I saw her and I'm like, oh my goodness. She looks so familiar. What do I know her from? Like it it was just wild. I'm like, I don't know if she's starred in anything, but I know I've seen her before. And this woman has a long career. She has 185 acting credits to her name. Um, And that's between shows, movies, uh, voice acting. Like, she's been in, you know, a couple of Wallace and Gromit's. She was on Call the Midwife. Um, She was on... The 101 Dalmatian Street TV series. Um, she was on Butter Snakes and Gumbles. Um, she was in The Little Vampire 3D. She was in Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. She was in... Um, oh, goodness. Uh, the Harry Potter movies. As... Um, Oh, goodness. She was one of the professors. She was. Um, she was a very specific professor. I wanted to say she was the one who uh, who did the um, Mandrakes. Um, she was on Rugrats for a while as Shirley Finster. Um, she, you know, she's just been in a whole bunch of stuff. She was in both of the Babe movies. Um, she was in Mulan, the 1998 version. Um, she she was in Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio, the one that mm-hmm. you love so much, Stefan, um, <laughs> as the nurse. No, that'd be my sister. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, she was in Balto. She was in Moonacre. She was... Uh, she's been in so much. Um, you know, you should definitely pop on IMDb and uh and check out her page because there's so much um she was with rowan atkinson in the black adder series before he started doing mr bean uh definitely a different sort of character um Mm -hmm. but uh very early on she was the dental nurse in little shop of horrors and you know she doesn't have a huge part but she did a great job nonetheless. You know, she mm-hmm. she definitely has a very 
specific look. Um, yeah, she was Professor Sprout in the Harry Potter series. So, yes, she was the botany professor. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, she was in Happy Feet as Mrs. Astrakhan. And she did an episode of American Dad. And, uh, actually, she was in one movie that is very not well-known that I really enjoy called How to Lose Friends and Alienate People. And um, it's a Simon Pegg movie, and I just love it. And she was the apartment owner, Mrs. Kowalski. That's right. I was wondering who she was on that. Yeah. Yep. And so, um, yeah, she, she has had a really long, great career, and you have probably seen her in some place or another. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she is my that actor for this movie. Um, I lost what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. So Seymour goes in at the end of the next day um, because the Audrey and Seymour saw the dentist abusing or Audrey too and Seymour saw the dentist abusing Audrey the night before and uh, Audrey even says the guy sure looks like plant food to me and so um, I guess Seymour's kind of pulling a Dexter right now you know and Mm -hmm. uh, getting rid of a bad person Um, And so he goes to wait in kind of the waiting room for the dentist to be done for the day. And we meet Bill Murray's character. And um, this guy, oh my word, yes, I laughed. Um, He's Mm -hmm. he's (laughs) kind of funny. um, But he plays Arthur Denton. And he is a masochist. Um, and Oren, the dentist, thrives on people being scared of him and, you know, him inflicting pain on people. And Bill Murray is there to be hurt. Um, I don't know if it's his kink or he just enjoys it, uh, or if he's just a masochist. Who knows? Um, but he, uh, he goes there to be hurt specifically. And like, um, as Oren is, you know, getting ready and he's, he's already sick of this guy. Cause this guy is way too happy to be there. He's not scared of the oversized, crazy, wild, um, tools that Oren has mm-hmm. and as Oren is getting himself ready uh Arthur sitting in the chair gets himself set up he puts the um um he puts the uh the paper with the chain around his neck like he puts that on and he starts putting like <laughs> gauze in his mouth and he just starts getting ready and it's like what are what are you even there for? Like, are you there for a cleaning? Are you there for a root canal? There's varying degrees of things you're there for. And, you know, as Oren is talking, Bill Murray or Arthur is getting excited 
and um and just you know Oren's like oh maybe we should do this maybe we should do that and Bill Murray's like I am down for whatever you want to do to me basically <laughs> like he is way too happy to be there um and he he winds up throwing Arthur out because he's like no you you shouldn't be here like I don't want you here you're not scared I'm not getting anything out of this you mm-hmm. know so get out of here um and so he gets tossed out and uh uh Seymour goes in to see Oren and Oren leans over him with like this huge like spiky tool and he goes let me ask you something does this scare you would you like it if I took this and headed right for your damn incisors and Seymour is terrified and Oren goes it'd hurt right and Seymour goes "Uh uh-huh and Oren goes you'd scream right and Seymour goes "Uh uh-huh and Oren goes well get your ass in here and so Seymour gets in the chair and he's scared of this guy and he's trying to figure out how he's going to kill him. Like, mm-hmm. he's poor Seymour. Seymour's not going to do this. He doesn't want to do this. And, uh, you know, Oren says, you know, I find a little giggle gas before I begin increases my pleasure enormously. And basically gases himself to death. Um, <laughs> kills himself, you know, and kind of takes the job away from Seymour. And Seymour is relieved. And he's like, well, all right, you know, that's that. And so he takes the dentist over to the flower shop. And I don't remember if it's in, like, the courtyard or the roof, but um, he starts hacking up the dentist. And uh, the flower shop owner comes in and actually witnesses him hacking it, ha- him hacking up the dentist. And um, feeding, feeding the dentist to Audrey, too, more or less. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, Audrey comes in at this time and she and Seymour, she, she's freaking out because she can't find Oren and sudden, and Seymour is like, well, you know, I'm here. I'm right here beside you. Suddenly Seymour is right here. And, you know, they, they have this sweet sweet duet and it's so cute and they're so cute together um right and so she goes off and she goes i think back home for something and uh the flower shop owner comes out of the woodwork or i don't i don't remember if it's the next day it's been a few days since i've watched this um I was not doing well last week, and so I I am doing my best. Um, so the flower shop owner comes out, and he's like, 
you know, I'm going to turn you in. I saw you hack this guy up. You're in so much trouble. And then he's like, unless. And Seymour's like, unless what? And the flower shop owner offers him an out. Like, you know, I'll let you run. I'll let you out of here. You just got to teach me how to take care of this plant. So basically, let me keep the plant and I'll let you go. And um, Seymour basically uh, starts telling the flower shop owner how to take care of Audrey and backs him right into Audrey's mouth. Mm -hmm. And so Audrey gets another meal and grows more. Um, And with the flower shop owner out of the way, since uh, Seymour was an orphan and taken in by the flower shop owner, that basically makes Seymour uh, the flower shop owner's next of kin. And so he gets the flower shop and now people are coming to see Audrey 2 even more and he's becoming famous and Audrey 2 is so big she reaches the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like plants don't normally grow that big unless they're climbers or like I know sunflowers and corn stalks can get pretty tall but 15 feet is pretty dang. Yeah. Um, and so Seymour's famous for it and eventually it just gets to be too much and he doesn't want it. And so, um, he runs into Audrey and he's like, you know what? Let's run away. Let's go. Let's get out of here. You know, we both want to get out of here. No, neither of us want to actually live on Skid Row. Let's let's get out of here. You know, we've generated mm-hmm. enough money. We can just go and start over. And she says yes. And she goes home to pack. And she puts on a very cute wedding dress, which is very fitting for her fashion sense. Um, and... Uh, Seymour goes to get dressed into his, I guess, suit. Um, He doesn't wear a tux, but it's a suit. And uh, Audrey comes back to the flower shop looking for Seymour. And Audrey, too, is just kind of like, oh, you know, another meal. Yum. Um, And... Part was gross. Like mm-hmm. starts starts sexually harassing Audrey. Like it's it's not cute. It's it's bad. Um, um, Audrey too is trying to get Audrey closer to it. Um, and Audrey too just says, you know, I need me some water in the worst way. Look at my branches. I'm drying up. I'm a goner, honey. And she says, come on and give me a drink. And Audrey is like, I don't know if I should. And Audrey, too, is basically just saying, you know, I just need some water. You know, just just come closer. And uh, as soon as Audrey gets close enough, 
um, Audrey, too, grabs her in her branches and starts to eat her, basically. Mm -hmm. And Seymour busts in just in time and uh, to be the hero and pull Audrey out of Audrey 2's mouth. And, um, you know, he pulls her away out of out of harm. And uh, we find out that Audrey 2 is budding and producing little Audrey 2s. Mm-hmm, little babies. Yeah, which, which actually were really cute. And they made over, I think it was like 100 of these little Audrey 2s. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, as my partner said, I think it'd be pretty cool to get one of those. But you know, who knows where they are now? I could, I could check eBay, but I haven't yet. Um. So this is actually where the original ending came in. Yeah. And uh, original ending was incredibly dark. So dark. Um, was the original ending for the musical, though? Yes. Yes. And it did not test well with audiences. And therefore, um, they changed it. But it was super dark. Um, Audrey eventually succumbs to her wounds she sustained while Audrey, too, was eating her. Um, even though you couldn't see any wounds on her body. Well, I mean, she, she had, you know, a spot that was bleeding from the torso and it was very, it it was pretty obvious, a big red spot against her white dress. Mm. Um, but she says, you know, which I die, which should be very shortly. Give me to the plant so that it will live and bring you all the wonderful things you deserve. And Seymour goes, you don't know what you're saying. And Audrey goes, but I do. It's the one gift I can give you. And if I'm in the plant, then I'm part of the plant. So in a way, we'll always be together. And oh, it's so sweet. And uh, the, the reprise of somewhere that's green. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Uh. Um, and so Audrey dies. And uh, Seymour sacrifices Audrey to Audrey too. And... Um, Event and Seymour is so sad he actually goes to commit suicide by jumping off of one of the buildings. You mean complete and, suicide? Well, he does not complete it. Oh, okay. Um, he attempts suicide. He faces suicide he does not attempt or complete um anyway he climbs up to the top of a very tall building and he's looking down and a uh a guy actually finds him i believe it's jim belushi's character who's like hey you know we should cut audrey two into little pieces and plant them and mass produce her and we'll make millions and this and that and uh, Seymour realizes that n- no, that can't be done. 
Um, he doesn't want that to happen. And he goes back down to do this showdown versus Audrey too. And it's where, uh, it's where he learns that Audrey too is an alien and wants world domination. She wants to be cut up. She wants to be in everybody's household. Like, heck yes. And so um, during this showdown, which most of it is the same as in the theatrical release. Um, mm. But in this version, Seymour gets eaten and Audrey 2 is taken and cut up and sold in mass production. And Audrey 2 is for everyone and everyone goes crazy and has to have one. And world domination. And eventually she gets so big, um, she starts uh, taking over cities and they turn into Audrey Zillas, basically, mm-hmm. and start like stomping the uh the um cities and tearing down buildings and things are starting on fire and the military is brought in to take care of um take care of all the plants and everything and so that was the original ending and again, the effects it, it, were great though <laughs> there there was definitely a lot of model work um there mm-hmm. it's I did watch the behind the scenes stuff and it was really interesting to see all the cuts they made from model work to the different actors and this and that. Um, but yeah, definitely during the Audrey Zilla's part, it was, it was cool. Like it was pretty awesome. And then at the very end, they had Audrey ripping through a movie screen so that it would seem like she was coming to get you as well. Oh, sorry, eating the audience. Yeah, more or less. Um, and so, um, going back to uh, the theatrical ending, um, you know, he and Audrey, let's see, um, He kind of sets Audrey down outside and he uh, he runs into the guy who wants to mass produce Audrey or Audrey, too. And um, like as as he's getting ready to leave, Audrey, too, is like, you know, feed me. I'm hungry. And Seymour is like, no, you know, not anymore. And uh he says, under no circumstances. And Audrey 2 says, feed me. And Seymour says, I will not, so stop asking. And Audrey 2 says, feed me. <laughs> and Seymour puts down the suitcase and he goes, no, no more. I can't keep living with the guilt. And Audrey 2 says, tough titty. And Seymour says, you watch your language. And Audrey 2 says, ooh, cut the crap. Bring on the meat. And, you know, Seymour pretty much says, you know, okay, fine, I'll go get you ground round, but that's all you're getting tonight, which I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Um, But it was basically a type of ground hamburger, 
back. Mm, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, I think it was a brand of, uh, ground up hamburger. Um, but I, I know I've heard of it before. And, uh, so, um, you know, Audrey too admits to being, you know, um, an alien and, Basically tries to take down Seymour because Seymour is trying to stop her uh, and wants to be mass produced and be all over the world to take it over. And, um, you know, Seymour has a gun that he reaches for and he tries to shoot Audrey too. And she knocks it out of her hand with her massive branches, which are being puppeteered by like a bazillion people. Like the the background on this is wild, and if I can find a clip, I'm gonna put it in the notes because it's it's amazing to see how many people went into the movement and puppetry of Audrey too, and um, they even had to figure out camera tricks because um, they couldn't get the mouth to move fast enough with. Um, the the uh, uh, Levi Stubbs uh, singing, um, and so they uh, the uh, the director Frank Oz noticed that when you rewound and fast forwarded, it went faster, and so they reshot it um, with Levi singing really slowly. And Seymour acting really slowly. And they just sped it up so that it looked like it was actually singing. Um, so that I thought that was really interesting. And that was kind of the beginning of, you know, that camera trick. Um, and it, looked great. it looked great. It did. I couldn't tell, you know. And... Uh, and so, you know, Seymour, like, runs into the back office when Audrey is shooting at him. And Audrey, or Audrey 2 is shooting at him, not Audrey. And Audrey 2 is, like, so frustrated. She, like, shakes, like, basically the store down. She, like, pulls the store down. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to destroy Seymour. And uh, Seymour is exhausted. Audrey is still trying to get fed by anybody. Um, And I actually have down here, uh, being smart pays off. And this is something I tell my son a lot. Like, it's okay to be smart. You know, it's good to be smart. Mm -hmm. Um, It's good to use your brain. Like... Um, I know some people are like, oh, it's, you're not cool if you're a brainiac, whatever. No. Fuck that. Right? Like, I, I tell my son, smart people ask questions. Mm-hmm. Like, it's good to be smart. You will get far in life. Like, and so, um, I have being smart pays off, and Seymour grabs a downed uh, electrical wire and uh, presses it into one of Audrey's branches or Audrey 2's branches and winds up electrocuting the plant to death mm-hmm. which 
I don't know if that's actually a thing. I don't know if you can actually electrocute a plant, but it's an alien. Yeah, I, they they did it in this movie and they did it in a smart way. And I was very happy to see it done like that instead of, you know, him getting a perfect shot down her gullet or in her eye or whatever. Because that's that's not him. That's not his character. You know, he's he's kind of a dorky little smart guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it worked out really great. And, um, you know, he and uh, he and Audrey head off and elope and they make Audrey's dreams a reality and mm-hmm. have two kids in the white picket fence and the end. And that is... Um, the Little Shop of Horrors, the 1986 version. Um, I highly, highly implore you to watch it. It's a mm-hmm. great little movie and not as, I'm going to say not as troubling as Rocky Horror can be, but still has its points, uh, still has its kind of bad points, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's, you know, 1986, but set in the 60s. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say that it's okay, because it's, you know, from back in the day, but it just, let's be honest, it, that's just how they did. So who is your MVP, Stefan? My MVP is uh, Seymour. Seymour, for uh, every reason that you uh, listed, you know, he was in uh, kind of, you know, the every man who rises up, you know, gets a taste of success, then realizes it's out of control and, you know, he rises up and take back, takes back the situation. And, you know, he gets his love interest in the end. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is always nice. And now I always think, so his last, his last name, his last name, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, uh, his his last name his last name is his last name is Crailborn. Crailborn, yeah. Crailborn, yeah. I always think of that. That kind of became slang after this movie for like kind of you know a, a geeky nerd. Uh, and I always think of that after uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Oh the, yeah. Yeah, the first few seasons. So he Malcolm is like a really smart kid, and he was in like like the the gifted and talented class, which was nicknamed the Crailborns. Oh no. Yep. But I mean, in all in all honesty, it could stand for a heroic, dorky guy, maybe. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just a yeah. random uh, tidbit. Yeah. I mean, one thing one thing I really liked about this movie is that, you know, Seymour's character did run the gamut. Uh, he created this problem, but then he fixed the problem in the end, too. Um, yes. And, and did save, you know, his lady love and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So how did this movie fare with the critics, Stefan? Yeah, this uh, 
pretty similar to Rocky Horror. This had a 90% critical and 79% audience. Oh. Yep. And it also, uh, you know, since has developed a big uh, cult following throughout the years. Uh, yeah. And I was I was going to say, so when it comes to, like, the definition of a cult film, do you think that a cult film, to be classified as a cult film, needs to be unsuccessful initially, either critically or commercially? I mean, I think that's kind of the idea mm-hmm. um, of a cult film, because I know Labyrinth wasn't big when it was released and now no. it's considered a cult classic. Yeah. Um I think I think it had to find like a niche set of people to be a cult classic. Um and just kind of start from there and you know generate success after its original debut. I would yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, yeah, because b- both these movies, uh, Rocky Horror and Little Shop, uh, did not. Yeah, were not. Well, I guess um, uh, Rocky Horror, both commercially and critically, was not. And Little Shop was uh, critically well-received. Commercially, it was a bit of a flop. Mm. Yeah, not a huge one, but still has developed a big cult following. Like... I've read before some people consider Scream to be a cult film, which I don't agree with at all because it was a big hit upon mm-hmm. release. That's just that's my opinion. Um, I know it's definitely a very well thought of horror movie and a lot of mm-hmm. people like it. But I mean then again, so are a lot of the other like horror um franchises you know yes. a nightmare on elm street halloween uh friday the 13th you know and now scream you know yeah. it's it has become one of the pillars of horror all right so now that we've discussed our thoughts on these films let's see how they fared on the social media battle polls just give us a scoop Alrighty, so this one was wild. Oh my gosh. It was. So almost from when we first put it up to the very last few hours, um, there were several times where these movies were in a dead heat. Like neck mm-hmm. and neck. Um I I actually didn't vote in this one. Um, really? Yeah, I. I honestly don't think I could have chosen. Cho- I don't think I could have picked one. Um, hmm. I just, you know, I I love both of them. Both of them have catchy soundtracks. Both of them have great stars. Both of them have pretty good stories. Um, I, I prefer the Little Shop of Horrors storyline to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but they're both terribly imaginative, and uh, it's just it's it's pretty fantastic. And actually, um, 
Little Shop of Horrors was a remake of one from like that was actually made in the 1960s. And mm-hmm. I watched part of this, um, but it's 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 a bit boring. Um, yeah, I, I tried watching some too, and I agree. Yeah, I I started watching it with one of my very good friends uh, a couple years back, but then uh, my son came down and he was watching it. And he got scared by the Audrey 2 puppet. And this was when he was like six. So, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. And this was before they had PG-13. So. Right. I'm like, it's PG. No problem. Nope. Nope. Thanks, Thanks rating guides. Jaws uh, was PG. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, who did you vote for, Stefan? I voted for Rocky Horror. Okay. Uh, Actually, my partner voted for Rocky Horror as well. And I think he was the final vote that eked out Rocky Horror over Little Shop of Horrors. 52.2% to 47.8%. There you go. And this was the the closest it's ever been, right? uh, Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure that's by one vote. Yeah. It just, it's, it's just wild. And there were several retweets and, um, we had somebody say, um, you know, hands down Rocky Horror is a classic, but I'm going to go along and say that Little Shop of Horrors is also a classic. So, I would um, agree. You know? Rocky Horror might be better known, but I just, I guess I just feel that, you know, they're both really great, you know, to the point that I could not make up my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually the person who said that, um, and I didn't use the exact quote because I actually can't pull it up. Oh, there it is. Um, actually Karen, our Patreon said Rocky Horror is a classic. Mm-hmm. I saw that too. Verbatim um, what she said. And so thank you, Karen, for your uh, input. We do like when you guys contact us or, you know, um, comment on the movies that we've chosen. Um, oh, yeah. I wanted to know, listeners, would you like us to post the films ahead of time? So that you can watch beforehand and form an opinion to let us know what you think. Um, I think maybe we might do that for August. Which... That's a good idea. I'm going to tell you a little secret right now. August is back to school month. Yeah. So don't don't tell anybody who didn't listen. But... (laughs) Um, yeah, Rocky Horror pulled it out over Little Shop of Horrors. We do a public Twitter poll every Monday, um, and this week is already getting good. Um, we do have, uh, you know, as soon as I posted it, I posted it when I posted the episode, um, the last episode, which, uh, which... A lot of people have really enjoyed um, so far. And 
Yeah, I literally posted this a day ago, and we've already got 27 votes. So this is mm-hmm. pretty awesome. I'm I'm super excited that people are voting and are amped up to see kind of what movies we're doing. Um, and so definitely let us know if you want us to list the movies ahead of time, uh, probably on Twitter and will be shared on Facebook. Um, but yeah, it's we'd love to hear from you, whether it's via tweet. Or if you want to rate and review us, we would love to hear your feedback. Or if you just want to message me and say hi, um, you can reach us on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you feel like supporting us, we are on Patreon under the Fighting Films Podcast. Uh, so we we are pretty much on all of the main um all of the main social media pages and uh, keep listening. Yeah. Well, uh, with that being said, sorry, too many, too many windows open. Mm. Hazard of the job. Right. Well, (laughs) thank you all for listening. This is Stefan. This is Jess. And until next time, let's keep those films fighting. And do not feed your plants blood. No. (laughs) All trivia, movie, and actor references, unless otherwise stated, are from imdb.com. Also, we want to give a huge thank you to Chris the Chippa Chipman for his editing talents and movie poster brilliance. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.